want you to take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the book of Haggai. I want you to look at the book of Haggai, and we're going we're gonna to focus this morning our thoughts upon renewal and revival, especially as it relates to the priority of our lives. Now, I realize this is the first Sunday of August. It is hard to believe we are at August. Some of us have had great summers. Some of us have trekked around this globe. We've done different things together. But here we are about to embark upon the rhythm of a new school year, whether it be uh, elementary or middle or high school or university. It, it's upon us. And I know our teachers hate to hear that. I know I live with a teacher, okay? Have for some time. But it is upon us. And as I was praying and thinking, even months ago, about this time in the life of our church, God was stirring then within me. He, he was really, I think, uh, challenging me and encouraging me in this area of renewal and revival. That God has called us to be renewed. There, there are times in the life of every individual. There is a time in the life of every church where we need a special touch, a fresh touch of the Lord in order to renew our spirits and revive us. Sometimes we have had revival services in the years past. Tonight I'm going to be up in Dubok, Louisiana. You know where that is, some of you? At Fellowship Baptist Church and beginning a, a, a few nights revival there. And I'm hoping and praying that God would renew us as we come together there. But you know what? Whether or not you have a specified time of revival, uh, a week long or a few days long or whatever else, all of us, again, all of us need a fresh touch of the Lord at some point in our lives. We need God renewing us. We need Him reviving us and challenging us. When I look at Haggai, I see the prophet of God stepping in to fulfill that role, to help them see renewal and revival. Now, again, what is renewal and what is revival? Stephen Olford, the old expositor from Memphis, Tennessee, said that revival is not in some emotion or worked-up excitement. Rather, it is an invasion from heaven which brings to man a conscious awareness of God. It is an invasion of heaven. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to know that we left this place knowing that God invaded this area, this worship service for his glory. Vance Havner, the old evangelist of Southern Baptist life, he used to say that revival is a church falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ once again, that we would fall in love with him. Or maybe to more to the point of what we're looking at this morning, Lloyd-Jones said revival above anything else is a glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is the restoration of Him to the center of the life of the church. And I believe that's where we're looking this morning at seeing how God is the center of the life of the church, that God is the center of, the, of our lives as we walk out of this place. And again, Haggai helps us to focus. He calls for renewal and revival of his people. So with that being said, let's look at these first 11 verses of the book of Haggai. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, 
The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins. Well, every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Haggai gets right to the point. He brings forth a word of God. It's, we're told that he gives this word uh, as God had spoken to him. This is a thus speaketh the Lord moment where God reveals himself and he calls to his people and he calls them to get about the work he calls them to be renewed why well i want you to see first the reason that there is a call for revival and renewal is because god's people had forsaken they forsook god's work they forsook god's work now let me give you some context to haggai now i know most of you are very familiar with haggai and I know you probably already have the context. You already have it down. You're, you're reading through. I know that. But let, let me just try to help you a little bit to hear what Haggai is saying to the people, especially about the work that needs to be done. So the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, if you would have it, they existed for some time as they would have bad king and good king and bad king and good king. They would have a very checkered leadership. But eventually, they had rebelled against God, and they had certainly rebelled against Babylon. And the Babylonians came in, and they destroyed Jerusalem. 586 B.C., they just destroyed Jerusalem. And in particular, they raised the temple. They destroyed the temple of God. And they were taken out in these three different ways to Babylon. Many of the best and the brightest of Jerusalem were taken in captivity. And there they were, and there they existed, until God came upon the scene through this Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire swept across the known world, and it, just, it, it took over the Babylonian leadership. And in that, God worked. Because listen, my God and your God can work in some of the most difficult ways, and he can overcome even pagan leaders. And our God worked, and he's moved upon the heart of Cyrus. 
And Cyrus allowed the people of Judah to go back to the land. And he even empowered them to rebuild. So in 538 or so, the people return and they start rebuilding. But get this. As they're rebuilding the temple, as they, they've rebuilt the altar where they can bring sacrifices, as they have started the foundation and gotten it done, eventually something seems to get in their way, whether it's opposition or whether it's apathy, whatever. They just kind of stop, and they stop building the temple of God. Now get this. 538 B.C., they had gone back. You would think... After so many months and years, they would have this temple completed. But here we come, and Haggai dates this message for us. The date of this message is literally August the 20th of 520 B.C. Now, when I was working through this, and I wish I could tell you that I had it planned like this, but I didn't, I'll be honest. Over the last few months when I was putting all this together, I didn't realize that I would be in the month of August... And this message was given in August of 520. So I did a little bit of math, and that, that's like, what, 2,540 years ago, almost to the date. It's pretty incredible. You're saying it's incredible I was able to add it up, aren't you? <laughs> I did have a little problem on that BC thing, you know, 520 plus. And all. But anyway, 2,540 years ago. That, that God spoke. Now, 520, but, but put this together. They came back in 538 B.C. In 520 B.C., they still had not completed the temple. So, in other words, 18 years had passed. Some would say it's been about 16 since they've touched the temple complex. So, they have allowed all these years to pass without taking care of God's temple. Again, why would they have allowed those time, that time to pass? Well, the task could have been difficult. They may, have, uh, they may have seen the opposition of the Samaritans and others who were around them and just grown discouraged. Or maybe they just looked at it, as we'll talk about later on, and they may have said, you know, this isn't near as good as Solomon's temple. So they just kind of, they just kind of gave up on the process. Some even suggested that they tried to justify their actions through theology. Some believe that they said, well, God said that there was going to be a rebuilding, a restoration. He's going to do something. So we'll just sit back and we'll allow God to sovereignly work this out and to bring forth the temple. Some suggest that they were trying to justify their reasons theologically. But what I want you to see here is Haggai speaks to them. And he says, what are you doing? You have forsaken the work of God. You, as God's people, you forsook God's work, whatever reason. You say, the time has not come. That's what they're out. It's like a slogan that they would use. Oh, no, the time's not ready for that. We're not, we're not ready for that. The time has not come for the rebuilding of God's temple. But look at what Haggai points out. Haggai says to them that you say the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. And then verse 4, he says, Is it time for you yourselves? Notice that. This is an emphatic type of statement. You yourselves. In other words, he is pointing out to them. And he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple 
to lie in ruins. You see, it was about priority. It was about their priority, their lack of priority. Because Haggai said, you've had time to do a lot of work. As a matter of fact, it's evidenced by your homes, your own homes. Later on, he'll say, the Lord's temple lies in ruins and everyone runs to his own house. In other words, the priority is not the Lord's house. The priority is not God's temple. The priority would be the homes and houses of the individual people. He said, you've had time to work on that. In particular, as they were concerned about their own homes, it says that they lived in paneled homes. Uh, there is some type of debate over this of, of whether those paneled houses simply mean that they had ceilings. You know, the panels and the top, that they had ceilings. If you had a ceiling on the house, it pretty much means it's complete. Would you say that? I mean, at least it's some type of shelter. So they've got these paneled, seal, sealed homes. Others, though, would say if you think about the paneled houses or the paneled overlay of the temple itself, it would speak of luxury. In other words, and I do believe that there are some, even through this rough time that they're having, there's some that are probably the leaders that have some great, wonderful homes to go into. These paneled homes, like the paneled cedars, the, the cedars of Lebanon, giving the beauty to the home, just as those panels were put into Solomon's temple. So in other words, they were, they were taking care of themselves. They were taking care of their own homes. Now again, I don't believe necessarily that their priority list was intentional here. I don't think they really would have gone out and said, yeah, this is about us. I don't think they would have gone out and said, you know what, we need to take care of our place before we take care of God's place. I do think they would have justified it as I spoke about earlier. I do think that they would have, they would have tried to uh, make their own arguments over what they were doing of taking care of their homes. But the neglect had caused them to misprioritize their lives and certainly their relationship with God. Now you see, as we're looking through Haggai, and you think it's so far removed, 2,500 years plus, also a context that you and I don't seem to be able to walk in each and every day, as far as it seems removed from our lives, can you not see the application to who we are today? God's people forsook God's work because they were about their own kingdoms. They were about their own lifestyles. They were about their own practices. They weren't so concerned about God. They would still give lip service. But they were far away from their relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you noticed this, but when God spoke about these people, he, he spoke about like this people, these people. He did not call them my people. In that covenantal language that's usually used in the Old Testament, he said these people, this people. They should have been so close to him, but it was almost like they, had, they, they just had walked away. And they weren't giving priority to him in their lives. 
You'll find this also over in the book of Malachi. Jeremy and I were up at Bernice a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were able to lead services there, and I, I shared a message from Malachi. Actually, I preached the whole book of Malachi, didn't I, Jeremy? Did it? It was good, wasn't it? It was really good. Thank you. you. You're doing better. But anyway, one of the things that you'll see in Malachi as well, the same idea of revival and renewal, because the people were far away from God. How would, they, how would you note that? You'd look at their sacrifices and their offerings. God said, look at, look at what you're bringing me. And in that very first chapter of Malachi, you see where they are bringing God the leftovers of their lives. They're going out into the flock, and they're finding the blind and the lame, and they're bringing them to God, and they're saying, here, God, you take this offering. Because you won't miss it, right? You as an individual, when you bring your leftovers, it's kind of like, it's okay, God, I'll give you the leftovers, because really, I, I won't miss those areas of my life. I, I can afford that and give you the leftovers. It's the same idea that, that Haggai is teaching, is that we give God the leftovers. We do not prioritize him as the top part of our lives. He is just another aspect of our lives. How easy is it to forget one's spiritual vows and oaths and be caught up in the materialism and the personal pursuits of our lives today? How easy it is for us. And everybody, this preacher, you, all of us, can get our priorities out of whack. And we can chase our own dreams and chase our own kingdoms instead of giving our best to the Lord. Our time and our talents, who we are, we can devote to our own kingdoms. You know, there are certain things that I, I enjoy in life. I enjoy the outdoors. Uh, I think when uh, Andy put this together, the, the new series here, and you see the, uh, the trees in the background, he asked me if that looked good for the idea of renewal, and I said, oh, it looks awesome. He said, I thought it would because it would be the woods, and you like the woods. <laughs> I love the outdoors. But folks, my love of the outdoors should never, ever keep me from serving the Lord Jesus Christ like I should. It should never separate me from the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ like I should. And that goes for anything. You think you golfers got off? <laughs> if you golf, you fish, you, you hunt, you work. You know what? Work's a good thing. But work can become a priority of your life. Any kind of extra, extracurricular activity, anything, not just extracurricular, just your life, the busyness. All of a sudden, you can fall into a place of neglect, and instead of prioritizing your relationship, prioritizing your work, prioritizing your worship, you're all of a sudden, you're all out of whack, and so is your family, and so is all of your life. Haggai says, look at yourself. He said, notice priority. I don't know if you've ever heard, I really had not till this week and I was studying, of a guy named David Rice Atchison. David Rice Atchison. He was a senator from the state of Missouri. 
And he is the purported only one who was president of the United States for one day. For one day. Actually, if you travel up to Missouri and you see his, um, you see his grave marker, it says, President of the United States for one day, March the 4th of 18, I think it's 1869. Some, no, no, sorry, 1849. 1849. Think about that. One day. You never heard of it, had you? No. No. Go ahead and admit you never heard of it. You think you Louisiana educated people think you're so much better than us Mississippi people. You hadn't heard of it either. You hadn't. Come on. I was looking through that. James K. Polk was the outgoing president. General Zachary Taylor was about to assume the oath of office. But March the 4th fell on a Sunday. And Zachary Taylor said that he would not take the oath of office on God's day because he felt like he ought to be in church. Now there's some pretty important things out there, right? But being sworn in as the president of the United States of America, most of us have told him, go early church and just go ahead and be sworn in, right? <laughs> but he refused. He was sworn in the next day. Now, before some of you go, the historians, the constitutionalists, they believe that actually Taylor became the president on Sunday, whether or not he was sworn in or not because of the way uh, the way the election had taken place and all the things that are going on. They, most historians, most constitutionalists reject the idea that he was, that this Atchison was ever president of the United States. But I thought it did speak to something about priority. Could you think about that? I mean, think about how out of place that would be in our culture today. But folks, I'm going to say to you, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not sure it should be out of place in our culture today. We're still talking about Zachary Taylor and the priority he had of God. What will we be talking about in your life? In 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, what would we be talking about the priority that people would recognize? Haggai says you need, you need to get back to the work. They had forsaken the work. And, and let me, I know I'm getting long here. I got, to, I got to move on to the second point, but I think I'm about to preach. I'm just telling you, it's in my system. <laughs> I, I want to point this out, though, before I leave this. He particularly addresses Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel, which would have been the governor of Judah, the governor of the area. Joshua would have been the high priest. He comes to them and he looks at them first because I think the leaders bear a responsibility in prioritizing God in their lives. And when I say leaders, I'm talking about this pastor. I'm talking about the ministers who are here. I'm talking about the deacons. I'm talking about you if you're a Sunday school teacher. I'm talking about you if you're a mom and or dad or whatever else and you have influence over somebody else's life. You bear a special responsibility to prioritize God at the top of your list and who he is and what he is and who you are. How are we going to teach our children? If we're sending them mixed messages, we tell them God is a priority. 
But then we walk out of these doors and we leave him here in this place. You don't think our children and grandchildren can't tell the difference in those who are sold out for the Lord Jesus and those who are just walking through the motions? We need people, we need families who are renewed and revived before the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will place them not as just an aspect of their lives, but who will place them as Him as their life. He is not just some part. This is church is not just some part of your social scheme. The, the Lord Jesus Christ is your life if you're a believer in Him. The result of forsaking God's work is that God's people forfeited God's wealth. What do I mean by that? They, God's people had forfeited God's blessing, His wealth. Look, look in verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. In verses 9 through 11, he describes a drought that has overcome them. In verse 11, he talks about the grain, the new wine, and the oil, which in the Palestinian system, the, the, the agricultural system of Palestine, those three crops made up basically all of their existence. Deuteronomy 28, 38 through 40 lists those and tells us that there is a certain type of curse that can come upon God's people when they reject Him and who He is. Now, what do I mean by this? There is, obviously, the ruin and the, somehow corresponds to the drought of the land. In verse 9, it tells us that. But even more so, what they have doesn't fulfill them. What little they're getting is not bringing satisfaction to their lives. Now, there are times that I feel like i got to have a little something extra. You know, I'm eating, eating something kind of sweet, need something kind of salty. You, you been there with me? I eat something kind of salty, need something kind of sweet. Lemon icebox always hits the spot. <laughs> but you got to have something like a lemon icebox to cleanse your palate sometimes. You know, you got... You know what it's like not to be totally fulfilled, like you've eaten, you're not totally satisfied. You've been there before? Preach to me, people. Yes. yes. But look at this. It says they eat what they have and they're not filled. They drink what they have. They're not full. They clothe themselves and they're not really comfortable. It says that they earn wages, but it's like they put the money in their pocket, a pocket full of holes, and it just keeps slipping by. They must have had teenagers somewhere along the way, huh? Said they're just not satisfied in what they have. You know why? Because I'm going to tell you this, even if it weren't a drought, even if it were the best of times, you will, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be satisfied by what all the world offers. You don't forget that. 
You can build your kingdom and you will never find true satisfaction. I love what one preacher said years ago to me. He said, you know, God can give you the money. The, or let me just put it this way. Money can buy you a $50 steak, but God's the only one that can give you the appetite to enjoy it. And there are some things in your life you will never find satisfaction and fulfillment if you're a believer in Christ because you're chasing all these things. Well, what's happened? God has come into your life and he saved you and you have tasted of the salvation and the forgiveness and the life of Jesus Christ and you will never be satisfied with anything else. Keep trying. Keep running to your own houses. You will never see true satisfaction and fulfillment. That's what Haggai says. We are made for him. He is to be the priority. Isn't that what Jesus said as he spoke that Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 6, as he dealt with worry, he dealt with those who would talk about food and drink and clothing, some of the same issues that are mentioned here. And what does, what does Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, all these things being what? The clothing and the drink and the food that he had been talking about. All these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, you put me first in your life and you're going to find satisfaction. You're going to find fulfillment. Because get this, if you're searching for him, if you're seeking him, if he's the top of your life, he is more than liberal with his presence. He is more than generous with himself. Aren't, aren't you proud that our God doesn't have the same type of mentality that we do sometimes? Aren't you proud that our God wasn't about giving us leftovers? Our God gave us his best. When he sent the Lord Jesus Christ for us. My friends, you will never be satisfied with anything else. The money, the homes, the cars, you'll never be satisfied with your activities, your extracurricular, never will be. You will only find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Haggai says, you look around and you're not fulfilled. You have forfeited God's wealth, his blessing. We are to seek. Somebody said we are to crave, pursue, to make sacrifice, to get it, to go after with all of our strength and all of our heart. We're to seek. Seek what? Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to seek him and his kingdom in our lives. The remedy Look at this. The remedy, what will bring renewal and revival? And look, I think we need to get ready for it. We need to look at the idea of God renewing us even before we get to September and the university starts. We need, we need God to work in our lives because we got too much work coming at us. The remedy is that God's people followed God's word. They listened. Haggai brought a revelation. He brought... The Word of God. Now, I am not on the same level as the prophet Haggai. I'm not one who can write something and it be Scripture. Scripture is closed. This is exactly what God wanted. 
But I do believe this. When I bring words that are firmly founded in this word, it is God's word to us. So I say this day, that as I'm talking about priorities of God's people, as I'm talking about misplaced priorities, as I'm talking about those of us who have forfeited the blessing and the wealth of God in our lives, and when I say that again, the satisfaction and fulfillment of God, then we need to hear God's word. He is speaking to us this day. And what does he say again? He says the same thing that he said here in Haggai. Verse 5, consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies that Haggai refers to here, says you need to consider who you are, your thoughts, your lives. You need to consider yourselves. Examine yourselves. Some translations could even say, set your heart upon your ways. In other words, take your mind and your heart and consider today where you are. Consider your relationship with the Lord. Consider it. Examine yourself. And then do what? Get to work. Let God so stir you as you see who you are that he will work in your life so that you can get to the work of the kingdom. It's what he says, isn't it? As he says in verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Go up to the hills, the mountains. Whether those be the Judean hills or on up into Lebanon to get the wood that would be necessary to build the temple, he says, you just go, you go, and you get about it. So that what? So that I can be glorified. God wanted the temple rebuilt so he could be glorified. You know, I'm one of these guys, I don't think there's quite as much mystery in God's plan for us as what we want to pretend. Oh, there are some areas, listen, there are some areas of working through it about uh, relationships and all of that. I, th I think there are some areas. Certainly we struggle and we seek the Lord's will. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Lord has shown us more of his will than what we want to admit. The people here, they knew they should have been building the temple. Oh, they justified it. I know we talked about that. And, and they came up with every good reason not to do it. But down deep, I think they knew they were supposed to build the temple. And you know what? In this place today, there are a lot of us who know that we need to reprioritize our lives. You don't have to go away from this place and pray about it because you already know. All you got to do is take just a very simple inventory, consider your ways. And it would be revealed that this day, you know what? Priorities out of whack. So instead of walking out and saying, hey, let me go pray about it, why don't you hear what God has to say to you? And you begin a new walk with him this morning. A refreshment. A revival. Yeah, I'm here. There's somebody there in the gathering that can receive you and we can pray for you. We'd love to do that. We'd love for you to come. But some of you, right where you, need, right where you are, need to just say, Hey, today in my life is a new day for me to walk with the Lord. God, I'm sorry that I have put you way down my priority list. I'm sorry I haven't 
been in the work the way I should. God, I'm sorry. I'll repent out of that, uh, of that, and when I leave this place, my commitment is to you and to your work. Would you hear that? Would you offer that to the Lord? May I say this? When you, when you come to the Lord with a humble and repentant heart and you offer him those words uh, that are genuine, that are authentic in who you are, guess what happens? God receives you. God refreshes you. God renews you. Because I promise you, this God that we serve is always attentive to a repentant heart and mind and spirit. He always is. And he's wanting to work in you. If you will consider your ways, and if you will follow him and be obedient. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. And God, we come this morning as your people. And God, I pray you would rock us this morning. I pray that you would do a new work within us. As your spirit strives this morning, as your spirit brings conviction upon this place, thank you, thank you that you care enough about us to continue to call us and, and, and to, Lord, do something different and alive in our lives. God, thank you for dealing with me. And, Lord, may you hear my heart as a pastor here and, Lord, as priority, Lord, work in me. And God, may it be evidenced in our leaders. May be it evidenced in each and every person that can hear my breath or hear my words today. God, move right now and help us to come back to you and reprioritize ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name.